Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 74, coming to you live here tonight. As always, I am Zach Baldor here, joined by my partner in crime, Steve Helwig. we got a great episode here tonight, got a very special guest coming uh, here uh, later on in the show. We also got a Mac basketball breakdown at the end of the show with Banzi. But before we get to that, it was championship weekend this past Saturday. That included the Mac. We'll uh, break that down for you here, do a little debrief of the football season as well. Steve, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing excellent. It was a fun championship weekend. We get, ended up getting two new teams in the college football playoff for it. And the MAC championship was an interesting game, not the outcome I expected. I wasn't expecting Northern Illinois to win in that definitive of a margin as they had not done that against a single MAC team all year. And now we're turning to bowl season and I'm looking forward to all 42 of these games, even the makeshift Frisco football classic between Miami, Ohio and North Texas. So Always a good time of the year in December. Always a good time of the year. You're right. Championship week right into bowl season. It's always uh, a, a great time to be a college football fan. A lot of great matchups. There's some great games this past weekend. You know, we were talking before uh, before we started recording here, that Oklahoma State-Baylor game. What an ending to that one. Certainly disappointing if you're an Oklahoma State fan, but, but what a win for Baylor. But uh, nonetheless, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it here, Steve. Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk MAC championship. As you mentioned, Quite a surprising result. Northern Illinois with a dominant performance, 41 to 23 against Kent State. Uh, the Huskies with an incredible offensive game plan really controlled the clock. They're up 17 nothing at halftime. And uh, Steve, it, it never really felt like Kent State was was in this game. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. Maybe you disagree with that. But um, what what did you think? I mean, great game plan from Northern Illinois really kind of controlled the game on the ground, kept that Kent State offense on the sideline. What were your general impressions of the game before we dive into some of the, you know, some of the stats and some of the matchups? One play that really felt key to me is something that you really won't see on the box score because the play didn't count because it was called back. But mm. I thought Kent State losing an opportunity at a 75-yard touchdown early in the game, that was wiped away where Dustin Crum completed I think it was to Marquez Cooper for a Kent State touchdown and it was wiped away due to an eligible man downfield and I thought that was a really tough break for Kent State because right there that offense can go up 7-3 and I think that Kent State's offense plays at a different level when it has that confidence of going up early because we've seen what Kent State's how they've lost this year before this MAC championship game they hadn't lost a game by fewer than 21 points so when Kent State comes out to a rough start, it's usually a rough finish for them. So mm -hmm. I really think that Kent State needed that play early to get on board up seven to three. I think from there, playing this team does not do well when it's playing from behind. I know last time they played NIU, they did come back from a 14 to three deficit, but it felt like it was sustained too far into the game this time, the deficit for Kent State to really come back. Dustin Crum and the offense never really picked it up. They were getting a little desperate with the throws. And then the Kent State team that rarely turns the ball over 
Dustin Crum had two interceptions in that game. It took a took a little bit of an ambitious deep shot earlier in the game. And then he also had that pick six to CJ Brown. So I just don't think that Kent state's passing game was really clicking. And then Marquez Cooper was limited to just six carries and five yards on the night or on the afternoon. So Kent state didn't really get things going with their star rusher either. So the offense just didn't have it in them that game. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I completely 100% agree about that, that uh, early touchdown pass getting called back. Um, You know, Northern Illinois gets the opening kick. They go down, they kick a field goal. Kent State has that kickoff, or um, excuse me, that pass uh, called back for the illegal man downfield. Then they end up having to punt on that drive. That right there, as soon as that got taken away and they couldn't get any points on that game, it felt to me like, right, even at that early juncture from that point on, I was like, Kent State might be in trouble here. And that's kind of the, I feel like that's kind of the struggle that you have with running an RPO offense like Kent State does, right? Where on so many of those plays, it, it truly is a run pass option. So your, your offensive linemen are kind of put in a tough spot there where he holds that mesh point for so long, the offensive linemen release downfield. If he pulls that and throws it, that's a penalty. And that's absolutely, you see that happen many, many times to Kent State this year. The thing that I wanted to kind of highlight from my perspective, Steve, was I was just so impressed by... I mean, obviously, uh, Northern Illinois' defense played great in this game. I mean, you look at this. Kent State had 104 yards of offense at halftime. That's, that's usually – I mean, that's, that's less than a quarter for them, usually. But I think because of the, – the reason for that, though, I felt like, Steve, was that their offensive game plan to me was great. Essentially, we're going to hold the, hold the ball. We're going to run the clock. I mean, first half, uh, Northern Illinois, 22-51 of possession. Kent State only had the ball for seven minutes in the first half. There's the reason why they only had 104 yards of offense. I really felt like the, the, the coaching staff of Northern Illinois and Thomas Hammock, the offensive game plan that they put together really, really kind of limited what Kent State was able to do offensively. And by the time Kent State's offense got going, it felt like this one was out of reach. Yeah, Northern Illinois made adjustments. The offense was a completely different brand of offense from the Huskies that we saw in the game in November on a midweek action. That was Rocky Lombardi had a school record 532 passing yards in that game. Rocky Lombardi only completed seven passes in that game, and he really didn't have to do much with his arm. Northern Illinois kept things grounded, and Kent State's run defense wasn't able to contain it. Jay Ducker served as a workhorse with 29 attempts and 146 yards. Ontario Brown and the rat dog Clint Rakovich also contributed to the rushing effort. And Lombardi, anytime it came down to the goal line, it was always in his hands. Lombardi kept it as a tough runner, and he had three touchdowns touchdowns himself so northern illinois just basically did the ground and pound in this game rather than air it out which is what they did against kent state last game so kent state's defense kind of got a different flavor of northern illinois offense this time which i thought was huge one other thing that i thought was big was a discrepancy in the pressure provided northern Mm. illinois beat kent state four sacks to zero sacks in that game the tackles for loss margin was 10 versus three in favor of the huskies so i thought putting a lot more pressure in on the backfield was something that really helped Northern Illinois. And they look to be the superior defense in there. You know, Kent State's cornerbacks are ball hawks. They like to force a lot of interceptions and turnovers. Kent State ranks one of the highest in turnover margin in the country. But NIU wasn't passing the ball and allowing them to force some of those. So NIU really played this game well. Thomas Hammock coached a great game and he coached a great season. Anytime you can yeah. go from 0-6 to 9-4 and conference champions, that's really impressive. That's why he's one of the 13 finalists for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award. And 
Northern Illinois, they're back in Detroit under their, what, third head coach since 2011, and they've, they just keep rolling. The Huskies are a machine. Every time that you think this team is down, they, they rebound and they win a MAC championship when you least expect it. They did that in 2018. They did it again in 2021. They also had MAC championships earlier in the decade in 2011, 2012, and 2014. So credit to the Huskies and their dynasty that they have going on in, in the uh, Ford Field. I tell you what, dynasty is the right word for it. I mean, five MAC titles in 11 years, quite, uh, quite impressive. I mean, that, that, is, that is quite a run of success they've had here over, over the last uh, decade or so. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think you look at the coaching on, on both sides of this game and, you know, I, I, I love Sean Lewis as a head coach. I love what he's done at Penn state. He's done some great things. He will continue to do great things there, I think. But the thing that concerns me a little bit, if I'm a Kent state fan is that in a game like this, you know, it doesn't seem to me like Kent State oftentimes, it, you know, when they need to go to a plan B, they don't always seem to have a plan B. You know, in, the, in this game here, uh, the, the, the passing game was off. Marquez Cooper couldn't really get going on the ground. And it felt like in a situation like that, Kent State, the in-game adjustments just weren't there. And, and even by the time the offense got rolling a little bit in the second half, it was already too late. So I feel it feels to me like that might be something that they need to look at in terms of, you know, in-game adjustments if they want to take the next step as a program. I feel like they're right there. Obviously, you're going to lose Dustin Crum this year. However, one thing I also wanted to say, you know, as a positive for Kent State in this game, I know it was kind of, if you want to call it garbage time in the fourth quarter, but uh, their backup quarterback, Colin Schlee, the, the sophomore from Maryland, it seems like he's going to be the heir apparent to Dustin Crum. And it seems to me like this offense is going to be in good hands with him next year. You know, he, uh, he ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown for Kent State here uh, in, in the fourth quarter of this game. I liked what I saw there. I liked the fight that I saw from the Golden Flashes. But I, I would like to also see, you know, moving forward, it feels like Kent State could get a little bit better at those in-game adjustments. I don't, I don't know. Am I overanalyzing that? Or what did you think in that regard? This game feels similar to its non-conference games against Texas A&M, Iowa, and Maryland, where you kind of see mm -hmm. the same story where defensively they look fine in the first half, and but the offense isn't going. And that failure of getting the offense going kind of just snowballs into worse defensive performance in the second half, getting more desperate. And yeah, there's kind of a lack of adjustments there. And Kent State is a lot better when it's playing from ahead. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. And then Colin Schley, we have seen Schley and some garbage time in some of those games that I mentioned earlier. And he has a similar skill set to Dustin Crum as a good RPO quarterback. And I think that he could be a good heir apparent. And I'm excited to see Dustin Crum bounce back from this game for one more for one more game at Kent State because he, he is a legend at that college. He led them to their first bowl win ever. He outplayed a first-round NFL draft pick in Jordan Love. And I think that he has a really good opportunity against this Wyoming team and the famous Idaho Potato Bowl to co uh, coming up to get Kent State's second bowl win of his tenure and in program history. So I think Dustin Crum can have a good bounce-back performance like that, just kind of like he did from non-conference. I said last time he threw the two interceptions against AM, he went 10, uh, 11 straight weeks without throwing another one. So let's yeah. see what he can do to finish off his Kent State career. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. And I like that matchup that they have up there on the blue yeah. turf in, in Boise against Wyoming. Uh, obviously, our, 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 the last image we had of, of the famous Idaho Potato Bowl was Frank Solish getting a French fry bath after 
winning that game with Ohio, which turned out to be his last game as a head coach. So we'll see if Kent State can go up there and kind of get their eighth win of the season and, and get their second bowl win in, uh, in school history. Uh, Northern Illinois, on the other hand, they're uh, they're going to go. They're going down to Orlando to the Cure Bowl. A really, really interesting game against Coastal Carolina there on December 17th. Steve, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to do a deeper dive on all the bowl games next week. But I really, this is an interesting matchup for me. I wanted to kind of get your quick thoughts on the Northern Illinois matchup against the Chanticleers. I don't know what to think about Coastal Carolina yet. Last year, they were a tremendous team, and they didn't lose a game until their Cure Bowl overtime loss to Liberty. But Coastal Carolina didn't beat a single bowl-eligible team this year. So when you're yeah. going down and you're looking, who is the best team they beat this year? Is it 5-7 and seven Troy? Is it 5-7 and seven South Alabama? Is it 4-8 and eight Buffalo? Two and ten Kansas. I mean, there's no clear cut best win on this Coastal Carolina schedule. Their two losses were narrow. They lost to App State by a field goal on a Wednesday night in Boone, and then their other loss was to two points to Georgia State, and that was a game where they didn't have their option specialist quarterback Grayson McCall, who's been a model of efficiency for them all year. So, this Coastal Carolina team's definitely intriguing. I haven't looked at the line yet, but I would imagine Coastal Carolina's favorites due to their 2020 reputation and having a better record than the Huskies. Northern Illinois, they're a well-coached team, and I said that I like that they have so many different styles that they can attack in. I said when they want Rocky Lombardi to launch it deep downfield and find Trayvon Rudolph and Cole Tucker and the guys, you've seen that. That's how they won that Central Michigan game. That's how they they played competitively in that first game against Kent State. But if they just want to ground and pound with Jay Ducker, Ontario Brown, and Clint Rakovich, we've seen them do that too. So they have a myriad of styles that they can play offensively. And defensively, they, they don't always provide the most pressure, and they sometimes struggle with forcing turnovers. But we saw them stop Kent State's run offense to a reasonable amount. And this Coastal Carolina team, they're sixth in the country in rushing offense, just one below Northern Illinois. So they're going to have their hands full, but I think if they can stop the run, they might have a good chance at getting their first bowl win since 2011 off the top of my head. I think Northern Illinois has lost. They lost every bowl game of the Rod Carey era, including his first game at the helm in the 2012 Orange Bowl. So that is a starved fan base for a bowl win. And the Huskies could get to beat a quality Coastal Carolina team and get some hardware on the Cure Bowl this December. You are correct. Their last bowl win, a 38-20 win against Arkansas State back Arkansas in 2011. State. Steve, yeah. you mentioned the, the, the line in this game, and you hadn't looked at the line yet. I want you to guess what it is because I'm looking at it right now, and it really, really surprised me. If you had to guess the line on this Coastal Northern Illinois game, what do you think it would be? I think the odds makers will say Coastal Carolina 6.5. Coastal Carolina minus 10.5 in this game. And that feels half. like a yeah, – Maybe Buffalo like by a, three. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you completely. That that instantly jumped out to me as, as, a, as a bit too much. It feels to me like the Huskies maybe not getting quite enough respect uh, in that regard. So anyway, uh, that was a, just, a, just a quick overview there. We're, we're going to do, as I mentioned, we're going to do a deep dive on all the bowl games next week. The first MAC bowl game being Toledo taking on uh, Middle Tennessee next Friday the 17th in the Bahamas there. So next Friday's episode, we'll have a, a deep dive on all of the bowl games. We're looking forward to breaking down all those for you. Eight MAC teams bowl eligible and uh, going to be playing in the postseason this year, which I uh, always, always an exciting thing. I remember being younger growing up and, you know, you, most years, you know, you get two, maybe Mac, three MAC teams in bowl games this year. You're, you're getting eight of the 12 teams in the conference that have qualified, which is a great thing to see. You love to see it. A lot of uh, national exposure, for the Mac. 
Uh, Steve, let's pivot here, do a little bit of a, a recap of the season. And to start with, uh, we can take a look at some of the, the postseason awards here and, uh, and you know, the, you know, the all-MAC teams. Uh, not a ton of surprises here, I think, in the, in the awards. Coach of the year, Thomas Hammock from Northern Illinois, I think very, very deserving there. Offensive player of the year, Lou Nichols, uh, the third from uh, Central Michigan, the running back, really came on in the last half of the season. Defensive player of the year, Ali Fayad from uh, Western Michigan, the defensive lineman, led the Mac in sacks. Khalil Pimpleton from Central Michigan with the special teams player of the year. Freshman of the year, the aforementioned Jay Ducker from Northern Illinois. And then the Vern Smith Leadership Award winner going to Dustin Crum uh, from Kent State, who, as you mentioned, Steve, led Kent State to their first bowl victory uh, two years ago. Got him back to Ford Field here uh, just last week. What did you think about the, uh, the, the postseason awards there before we get to the All-MAC teams? Anything that surprised you there? Excuse me. Uh, I don't think there were any surprises there. Usually I kind of expect the MAC Offensive Player of the Year to be the Vern Leadership Award winner. Yeah. And they, they split it up between Dustin Crum and Lou Nichols. And I can understand that because Dustin Crum provides a variety of skills for Kent State's offense and offense, which landed in the MAC championship game. And I think he deserves to be recognized for his efforts. Then Lou Nichols, I mean, you can't ignore the nation's leading rusher. Lou Nichols just went on a tear at the end of the season. And he really led Central Michigan to that hot streak, that four game win streak to end the regular season. And the last time he had under 130 yards was October 2nd, which is insane. He's on a, he goes into the Arizona bowl on a seven game streak of 130 or more rushing yards. And he's getting touchdowns along with that too. So that was well-deserved. Ali Fayad, I think would be my pick for Mac defensive player of the year. I was trying to think of some other names that could be up there. I know Ivan Pace had a great year for Miami. Bryce Cosby's a name from the secondary, which sticks out for Ball State. Jamal Hines from Toledo did a really good job at spearheading and a much improved Rockets defense. But I think I would go with Fayad. He's the max leader in sacks, and he did a really good job at pressuring opposing quarterbacks this year. So I do agree with Fayad there. Special teams player of the year, you had to give it to Khalil Pimpleton after watching that game against Western Michigan where he had two punt return touchdowns and a half after Central Michigan didn't have a single one since 09. So I agree with him there. Mac freshman of the year, Jay Ducker. Yeah, he, he tore it up for Northern Illinois. Did a really good job of becoming the primary back after Harrison Whaley's early season injury. And he was a pivotal, uh, he was an integral part of that Northern Illinois Mac championship team. Mac coach of the year couldn't have been more obvious. You go from 0-6 to 9-4 and MAC champions, you got to give it to Thomas Hammock. Has the best record in the MAC. Nobody expected Northern Illinois to be here. I think most people expected them to be sixth in the conference, maybe 3-9 and nine or something this year. And the Huskies are back on top. So Hammock is well-deserving of that award. Totally agree with all that. Yeah, the one I think the most impressive to me, I, 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 love, uh, I love that Jay Docker got the freshman of the year award. This is a guy... He didn't even see the field in their first game against Georgia Tech. Their first four games, including that one, he had 13 carries for 35 yards through four games, and he still finished with 1,000 yards on the season. I mean, 33 carries for 210 yards against Bowling Green, had 155 yards against Ball State, 146 against Kent State last week in the MAC championship game. I was really happy to, uh, to see him get recognized. Uh, taking a look here at the, the, the first team offense and this first team defense, Steve, I'm not going to read through the entire list of everyone on here uh, for, uh, you know, for the sake of our listeners. If anyone wants to look, you can go on to the, the official Mac website and take a look at the whole team. 
But one thing I, the first thing I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, Stephen, we've talked about this a, li- a little bit before on the podcast, but my goodness, the, the depth of talent at receiver yeah. in this conference this year. I mean, you got four wide receivers on the first team with Khalil Pimpleton from Central Michigan, Dante Cephas from Kent State, Jack Sorensen from Miami, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, all very, very deserving. But then you look at the second team, you got guys like Justin Hall, Trayvon Rudolph, who had 300 yards in a game, Hassan Badoon from Eastern Michigan, Kanata Mumfield from Akron, who was a, a freshman midseason All-American for the Athletic. Like the amount, the, the depth of, of, of talent at receiver in the league is unbelievable. I feel like all eight of those guys, you could have made the, the, the case for them to be on a first team offense. Definitely. And I'm glad they have four receivers instead of just two on the team because that many guys deserved recognition. Uh, Keon Williams, Dallas Dixon, Ja'Cory Sullivan, and Mac Hippenhammer. That third team's pretty loaded, too. I mean, yeah. I would operate with that receiving core any day. Keon Williams was the max leading receiver for a while this season until about midweek play started. And then the Central Michigan receivers, Dallas Dixon, Ja'Cory Sullivan, also did a really good job in handling Daniel Richardson's offense there at Central Michigan. Matt Kippenhammer serves as a good partner in crime too. Jack Sorensen, especially once midweek action started. So yeah, the Mac receivers are loaded. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to knock someone off the first team for receiver, but it's kind of hard to justify Justin Hall as second team. I understand he only had 613 yards this year, but just when you watch him play, you see the amount of talent he has. And Justin Hall also had 255 yards and six touchdowns as a rusher. And he's the college football's active receptions and receiving yards leader. So seeing him on second team just shows how much depth there is at receiver in the Mac because he's one of the most talented receivers, not just Mac receivers, but receivers in the entire country. Totally agree with that. And, you know, another, another, um, another position here that I think is actually sneakily very, very deep in the Mac. There's a lot of good kickers in the Mac here this year. I mean, I know talking to, talking to Vanzi, big Eastern Michigan guy, he was a little bit upset that Chad Ryland from Eastern Michigan only made the second team offense there. But then you look at the first team, you got Nate Needham from Bowling Green. He's 19 for 20 on the season, two for two from 50 plus 10 for 11 from, uh, from, you know, 40 to 49 there. A lot of really good special teams talent in the Mac as well. I really like, uh, you know, I, I love the, the depth and I, you know, I love, I love that the Mac does, you know, three, uh, three teams here because there's so many guys that you could, uh, you could take a look at that, that really are deserving of being, uh, of being recognized. What about on, on the defensive side of the ball here, Steve? I feel like, um, you know, linebacker is very similar to me as wide receiver. A lot of great linebackers in the Mac this year. You look at the first team, Darren Anders from Bowling Green, James Patterson from Buffalo, Troy Brown from Central Michigan, Ivan Pace from Miami, four solid linebackers. But then you look at the second team defense, you got a lot of good guys on there too. Jalen Thomas, you mentioned from Ball State, Zaire Barnes from Western Michigan, Matthew Salopek also from Miami. Um, anything that stood out you out to you on the on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, there were a couple names. I know Kent State didn't have one of the better defenses, but there wasn't room for Montre Miller here I, don't, I think he might have been the max leader in interceptions with four and he had yeah. that game-winning breakup against Miami to send Kent State to the MAC championship game so I was surprised with the lack of Montre Miller on the list because he had a really good hand in forcing turnovers early in the season and another name from Kent State I was surprised not to see was AJ Mussolino who really mm-hmm. had a breakout year after being primarily a special teams player he had 10 and a half tackles for loss three sacks this year 
had an interception, which helped them win that Bowling Green game. And there were three games where he had double digit tackles. One of them was that Mac championship game, which happened after the voting stopped. But I thought AJ Mussolino was deserving of some recognition. But yeah, there were a lot of good names this year on the defensive side of the ball. Ball State didn't quite get its linebackers in this year. Last year, they had four linebackers in the MAC teams, and all four of those returned. But I think Brandon Martin had an injury throughout the year. So Jalen Thomas was the lone Ball State linebacker representative that we had in this year's class. But when those Ball State linebackers are healthy and at full strength, then there are a lot of all MAC players on there. Jimmy Dawes, one of them. Anthony Ekpe's really good when he's healthy. So I thought that Ball State might have had needed a little more linebacker representation in there. Yeah, I, I certainly hear you there. So again, there's a lot of talent to go around in the MAC this year. We could debate here and parse these out and, and say, you know, who deserved what and, and you know where they should have been belonged. But uh, all it ultimately, I think all the guys that made this list here, any of these teams, are all very deserving. And again, we're not going to run down through the, the entire uh, entire all MAC squad here. Uh, just for the for the sake of the listeners, if you want to see the whole list, you can go to the the, the Max official website and take a look at it there. Uh, Steve, before we before we move on, I just I, I guess just as as we look back at the season, which can't believe the regular season's already over, just wanted to kind of get your general thoughts from the year. Obviously, there were some surprises in the MAC this year. Nobody saw Northern Illinois coming. Probably some teams that were a little bit disappointing that that underperformed a little bit uh, this year. Uh, what are your thoughts in that area? Especially, I, I'd love to get your thoughts, especially on kind of the teams that you felt underperformed a little bit, because I feel like the surprise of the year, we could easily both say Northern Illinois there. Nobody saw them win in the MAC championship. But when you look back at this season, is there one team in particular that you felt like didn't live up to the expectations? I, I think it might be the Buffalo Bulls. And I understand that it's difficult rebuilding under a first year head coach, but I did think that there was enough talent still in place left from the Lance Lightbolt era with Kyle Vantrese, Kevin Marks there, getting Eastern Michigan transfer Keon Williams to lead the receiving group. And I liked a lot of their pieces on defense, although Max Michelle and Taylor Riggins were injured for so much of the season, which left that pass rushing duo out of the mix. And then you had James Patterson on defense and a lot of veteran secondary players. I thought this Buffalo team should have at least gone bowling. And they, they beat an old Dominion team earlier in non-conference play this year, which ended up getting hot and going six and six. So they did have that was their best non-conference win that they had. They did go two and two in the non-conference slate, but Buffalo really struggled in Mac play. I've, we've talked about that Bowling Green game before. That was a game I really thought they shouldn't have lost. And Buffalo never really recovered from that game. And they had really bad losses to Miami and Ball State in two of their last three games. So four and eight, I think is a little disappointing for Buffalo team that had had a, quite a good streak going since 2017 of, three uh what was it four straight non-losing seasons so to see the bulls snap that streak and go four and eight wasn't really the most satisfying way for buffalo to end the season because we saw them play coastal carolina pretty well we saw them play western michigan well kent state they had a nice comeback there before falling in the end so i thought until that bowling green game that this was a solid team this season Totally agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree. With you. Def definitely a, a bit of a disappointment there. I, I think you could also throw Ball State in that mix. Obviously, uh, coming off the MAC championship last year, they they you know slow start to the season, only get to six and six, uh, barely make make it back to a bowl, which obviously they did. A, a good accomplishment for them, back to back bowl games, no small task, and, and nothing to sneeze at. But I think you could put Ball State and Buffalo both kind of in that same boat there. One last thing I want to kind of get your thoughts on here, Steve. 
How about the parity of the MAC this year? Eight of 12 teams in the MAC bowl eligible. The only conference with a higher percentage of their teams eligible for a bowl game this year is the SEC, who had 11 of 12 teams eligible for a bowl. The MAC with uh, the entire MAC West qualifies for a bowl game. The only other division in major college football in the FBS this year that you could say that about was the SEC West. And, you know, think about those teams in the SEC. They have the benefit of, you know, four or I guess I should say, yeah, yeah, four quote unquote buy games in the non-conference, which uh, obviously the MAC does not have that benefit. What do you think about is that good for the conference or, or, or how do you kind of see that? Obviously, it, it lends itself to. There's no dominant team this year, which I think can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But to see eight of the 12 MAC teams qualify for bowls this year, I think is a great thing. Yeah, from that perspective, it's great for the conference. But I, I think that the MAC would rather have a year with a 2012 Northern Illinois or a 2016 Western Michigan, where it's getting a college game day appearance. It's getting national headlines. There's a team that's existing in the rankings. And the MAC hasn't had that. I mean, usually the CUSA is a, the conference that doesn't have that, but UTSA was ranked for a good portion of this season until that North Texas loss. And the Roadrunners won the conference with a 12 and 1 record. But the MAC parody is, it makes the games really entertaining. We had so many great midweek finishes. Like the first few nights of midweek action, we had the Akron Ball State game, which came down to a goal line fumble. We had that 52 to 49 Eastern Michigan Toledo game. We had the NIU Kent State round one with a 52 to 47 finish that Miami versus Ohio battle of the bricks game where there were like five scores in the last five minutes or something like yeah. that. There, it's just, you can put any two teams together in this conference and know you're probably going to get a good matchup. And that is a great thing to hear, but it just doesn't help with the rac national recognition standpoint as much. Cause last year, the Mac had two teams that finished ranked ball state and Buffalo. I think not having to play a non-conference schedule kind of helped perpetrate that but I think that the Mac would prefer to have top heavy teams rather than the parity that we've seen in the conference in 2019 and 2021. Sure sure yeah I definitely could see that as well it's it's interesting um, you know as you mentioned you know it's not like we had a 2016 Western Michigan 2012 Northern Illinois something like that perhaps one of these years another one of those teams will emerge uh, from the Mac and, and, and challenge uh, you know get up into the, you know, the top 20 uh, as we progress through the season. Last thing to discuss here, Steve, before we uh, head to the commercial break and uh, get out of here. Um, the only one, only one coaching change made in the MAC this year with Akron letting go of, of coach Tom Arth. Just the other day, they announced officially the uh, hiring of Oregon offensive Joe, uh, coordinator, Joe Moorhead as the next head coach at the university of Akron uh, currently, or he spent the last two years, I should say, as the offensive coordinator out on the West coast at Oregon where obviously Mario Cristobal left Oregon to go down to Miami and Warhead is going to be uh, leaving at the same time. Prior to that, though, head coach at Mississippi State, where he went to two bowl games in two years, uh, was the offensive coordinator during the some of the Saquon Barkley years at Penn State, where he had uh, some, some very, very high-powered and successful offenses, and also was the offensive coordinator at Akron from 2004 to 2008, which included the, uh, the 2005 MAC championship team, the last time the MAC, or excuse me, the last time the Zips won the MAC, uh, Steve, what are your general impressions here? It seemed to me like a pretty good hire for the Zips. What do you think about their hire, Joe Moorhead? Yeah, it seemed like this is where Moorhead wanted to coach because there were so many openings still in the FBS when Moorhead first had interest in the Akron job that was reported. And Joe Moorhead, he's going back to an Akron team that he's previously coached. He's a Pittsburgh guy who's born in the Pittsburgh area, so that's not too far from where the Zips play at InfoCision Stadium. 
And I thought he did a great job, especially as Penn State's offensive coordinator. That was probably his best job that he did as a college football coach because that, those 2016 and 2017 Penn State offenses were incredible. They won the Big Ten in 2016. They upset Ohio State that year, had that comeback win over Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, and just fell short in the Rose Bowl and had a top 10 finish. And then 2017, well, they were four points away from an undefeated season that year, just with two losses to Ohio State and Michigan State. And Penn State's offense was really clicking at a high level those years. And Mississippi State, he had a pretty decent 2018 season as a head coach. Uh, 2019 didn't work as well in his favor, but they did win that iconic Egg Bowl over Ole Miss with the Elijah Moore penalty. And that got him the bowl eligibility. But then I remember there was, uh, I think, some fights and stuff that broke out in their bowl practices, and it, it seemed destined for a time for change in Starkville, and they ended up getting Mike Leach out of it. But I, I think Joe Moorhead did a good job as Oregon's offensive coordinator this year. Obviously, they didn't look as hot against Utah, but some of the other games Oregon did this year, the fact that they were able to produce that amount of yardage and a win over Ohio State and Columbus gives me promise for that Joe Moorhead still has his fastball as an offensive coordinator. I think he'll do pretty well as a head coach at Akron, and having an established coach seems like it could go pretty well because Jim McElwain had some good years at Florida, before Central Michigan hired him. He made two SEC championships games in his first two years. And it seemed like he was a natural fit from day one at Central Michigan. And he's done nothing but win games there. He hasn't had a losing season yet with the Chippewas. And this Moorhead hire feels a little similar to me to the Jim McElwain hire that Central Michigan had a few years ago. It's just that Akron's having a lot of transfers now with Zach Gibson, Kanata, Mumpfield, some of their most important pieces. So it's going to be a bit of a rebuilding effort, but I think Moorhead and his past coaching experience should be able to help with recruiting and help turn the Zips program around. Totally agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a Penn State fan, a Penn State alum, I think him, you know, James Franklin hiring him before that 2016 season, it, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like dramatic here, but I do feel almost like, you know, there, there was a sense within the Penn state fan base, like, you know, James Franklin comes in, he goes seven and six back-to-back years in 2014, 2015. There were some people that were starting to get a little impatient with him. And he, he gets rid of his longtime uh, offensive coordinator, John Donovan brings in Joe Moorhead. And then you have back-to-back 11 win seasons. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, James Franklin's seat is not quite so hot anymore. And so I feel like Joe Moorhead played a big part in that. And, uh, you know, he runs a very, very exciting offense. You mentioned the Oregon win at Ohio State earlier this year. I'll be really curious to see uh, how he's able to put this roster together. I also think, you know, a lot of, there's been a number of zips that have entered the transfer portal since uh, uh, Tom Mark was let go. Zach Gibson, a quarterback, Kanata Mumfield, the wide receiver, both put their name in the transfer portal. I wonder if he'll be able to convince either of them to stay and elsewhere. You know, we'll see what, every, what kind of staff he puts together and what type of recruiting class he's going to be able to put together this year. But certainly you read uh, the, the comments on Akron Twitter. It seems like they've kind of been galvanized by this hire of Joe Moorhead. They seem very, very excited by it. So best of luck to coach Moorhead at, uh, at Akron as he comes back to the uh, region of the, the country that he's very familiar with. And we'll see what the zips look like next year in the first year under his stewardship. So that'll wrap it up here for this, uh, the, the football segment of the show. We have a very, very uh, special guest joining us on the other side of this commercial break. We're going to be joined by Detroit Lions all-time great Herman Moore, the wide receiver, a four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, now serves as an ambassador for the Quick Lane Bowl, which obviously Western Michigan will be participating in on December 29th. 
uh, on ESPN taking on Nevada. So we're going to have a quick conversation with him on the other side of this commercial break. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome back from break to the Mac Bandwagon podcast. I'm Steve Hellwick, joined by Zach Folador, and we have a very special guest today. He led the NFL in receptions in 1995 and 1997 in a second in Detroit Lions history in receptions and receiving yards. We welcome Herman Moore, who is the ambassador of the Quick Lane Bowl. Herman, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. So, Herman, you have a big role with the Quick Lane Bowl, and I'd like to get a little into it. How did you start getting involved with this bowl game, and what was it about the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit that you really wanted to have a leadership role with? Well, I was approached with the opportunity uh, several years ago, I think it's going on over five years, uh, to become an ambassador, to really talk about uh, the opportunity, talk about what Quick Lane is trying to accomplish with uh, being a part of the bowl packages, uh, awarding these teams and these young student athletes an opportunity to have that final game in a, in a great place, a great experience. And it was the ACC versus the MAC. And, and being that I was part of the ACC conference at the University of Virginia, uh, it was fitting that I would be a part of that. And then being here, we were always looking for a MAC team. And we, we have so many here in the state of Michigan. We have a few here that, um, uh, actually fit that bill. So it's been great to have the representation of both the ACC and the MAC in the past, uh, but now uh, getting the opportunity to ex expand that reach and also offer that to additional teams has been awesome. Great stuff. And uh, Herman, I know there, a big part of this is kind of, you know, giving back to the community and some of the charitable work uh, that the Quick Lane Bowl does. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. I know there's the partnership with Gleaners Community Food Bank and a lot of, uh, you know, the partnership with Ford as well, providing training for veterans as they transition out of the military. Uh, I wanted to see if you could maybe talk about that a little bit for our audience. Oh, yeah, that's, a, I appreciate that opportunity. And some things get missed. We talk about the bowl games. We talk about the uh, festivities and, and all of the entertainment that goes around that. But something that gets missed is the, the give back component, the advocacy uh, that many of the sponsors or these bowl game um, uh, title sponsors have, like Quick Lane and Ford, uh, their commitment back in Michigan and also across our state, there is a depleting uh, area of skill trades that is taking place in multiple industries and probably a lot more so in the automotive industry. And their commitment back, given that they've got over 800 locations across the country, uh, that they are looking to say, we want to offer this as a program and opportunity for those that are looking to either transition into that or learn that as a new skill trade and take that on as a career. And uh, I have a full service staffing firm and I understand their challenges that they've had. And I think going about it this way gives them a tremendous give back and touch point with the community and also shows that they care uh, beyond just the, the entertainment and bowl game itself, uh, but giving out that, um, that other personal component uh, and then you talked about the military veterans. That's an awesome piece. Uh, the transition that takes place there uh, gives them an opportunity to do that. So we, we just encourage people to um, really take the opportunity to, to I, I think, take a look at you know, those that are looking at that profession in that field and, and get involved. 
at newfortech.com. I want to make sure I, I mention that too. In those charitable uh, works were some things that were definitely missed last year with the Quick Lane Bowl. The pandemic axed many bowl games last year, and unfortunately, the Quick Lane Bowl was one of them. So what were some of the challenges of having that Quick Lane Bowl not in the rotation last year? It was, it was no different than the challenges I think most of the, the bowl game uh, committees have and, and those that are looking to, to put that and bring that commerce or bring that opportunity to those local uh, business owners, the, the local communities, and also to extend that, as I said before, to those uh, rewarded collegiate programs. Um, it's, it's always hard to sometimes restart, but I think given the success that we've had with the Quick Lane Bowl over the years and the games, if anyone is, is tuned in, I mean, they've been very competitive. Uh, the matchups uh, that have been selected have been awesome through the uh, selection and those that accepted the invitations. Uh, so we're, we're excited that we're back. We're excited that we're trying to get back to some sense of normalcy uh, with um, uh, the games and people being back in the stands. And it's no great way to kick it off than on uh, December 27th uh, at Ford Field. And speaking of some of those really competitive matchups, we got a really thrilling one in 2019, last time out, Pitt versus Eastern Michigan. We have now a Heisman finalist and Kenny Pickett delivered a touchdown pass in the final seconds there to give Pitt the win. What do you remember about that matchup, both on the field and some of the off the field things that you had with the Quick Lane Bowl that year? Well, I just remember it was going to be, you, know, you had Eastern Michigan, who being local was a, was a favorite. They had great turnout and support. Uh, it was a program that had bounced back and uh, had really started to, to pick up some of the pieces and have an opportunity to go to a bowl game was awesome. And to have us extend that was, was a, a tremendous um, um, reward for us. Uh, the other one was having Pitt. Pitt came from the ACC. We knew that they were a strong matchup. You talk about their quarterback, uh, who is now a Heisman Trophy finalist. But at the same time, Pitt's defense was always one to be reckoned with. And I remember that that was always something that was being talked about. And that still held true. And uh, we've had some ties of coaches who are back from the state of Michigan who were over at the Pitt um, camp. Uh, so it was, it was good all the way around. And we felt like we had some really good touch points. What about this matchup here this year, Herman? Two, two great high-powered offenses. We got Western Michigan, another Michigan team representing the MAC this year. We got Nevada coming from the Mountain West. The first time a Mountain West team has participated in the bowl. We got two high-powered offenses, two great quarterbacks, Caleb Ellaby and Carson Strong, two of the better quarterbacks in the group of five. We also have 2,000-yard receivers in this game. Sky Moore from Western Michigan with 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Romeo Dubes from uh, Nevada with 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. What do you think about the, the, the matchup this year? I think you're going to be facing it. And because of those numbers and the fact that you mentioned two quarterbacks, that are NFL prospects and those that also are, are leaders of their teams in these high-powered offenses, that's what you're going to get with Caleb. I mean, it, it goes without saying, he, he's been a leader. He's been there to put up some impressive uh, numbers. Uh, and then when you you look over at Nevada, uh, that's that's just, you know, you, you got a top five draft pick uh, at the quarterback position. So that's, that's another one you're going to have to watch. I know there's some question of whether or not uh, he's going to take place and play. Um, in the, the bowl game, but I expect that we'll see them. And if not, uh, you know, the game will go on. But uh, I, I will say this, they both have good running attacks. Um, you have teams that just have explosiveness in both phases of the game uh, in terms of uh, on the offensive side, running and passing. And defensively, I think it's going to be which team can, can mitigate the other one's effectiveness. 
is going to win this game. Uh, but nonetheless, it's going to be another shootout, another exciting one for the Quick Lane Bowl. So we, we are looking forward to that entertainment. So, Herman, you're very well-versed in football, the modern-day game of football, and you played it before. So when you're watching games, what receivers do you see some of yourself in today? I remember I asked you this question in 2019, and uh, Kenny Galladay, a former Mac receiver, was playing for the Lions at that time. Are there any other receivers maybe besides Galladay that you see some of yourself in, and what would those attributes be? Um. You know, as far as on the on the professional level now or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, on the professional level, I mean, there's there's some players I've been impressed with and, and trying to compare them to players like myself and others. We just we came from a different breed to where it was all about all phases. You know, you had to block. You had to run pretty much the entire route tree. You weren't just put in and said, OK, because you're a big guy and you have speed, you're going to run these type of routes and so on and so forth. Um now I think we've started to see that you're starting to get more of those role players back again, but they are coming with physical dimensions that you look for that provide a competitive advantage at the position. Um, And if I had to pick players right now, uh, I've always been impressed with Mike Evans. He's someone that he, the consistency that he has, the the size that he has, and the fact that he has to share with so, so many others, each year, it seems like there's other positions, whether it's Gronk coming back, whether it's, you know, changing at the running back position, uh, quarterback position, whatever. But throughout his career, here's a player who's had a thousand yards every year. And um, he doesn't get mentioned, I think, quite as much as he should. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is another one that's a little bit smaller. But again, one of those those gritty players that has that consistency about him. Uh, there really aren't, you know, those those real massive size guys um, you know, they're still falling in that six foot to six, two, six, three range. Now um, you don't see the, the physically dominating six, five, six, four, 220, 30 pound guys that are just really reining it in right now. Uh, so uh, from a physical attribute, we're a little different. Uh, but for the most part, I think the athleticism is definitely there. I like Justin Jefferson. Um, he's one that not many people talk about uh, that has great fluidity, great route running. Uh, I love uh, his footwork and his acceleration uh, that I think right now give him another year or two. And he's going to be one of those if he keeps the consistency um, and also having a guy like Thielen on the other side, he's going to really explode. And he's doing it already. Yeah, I love that you mentioned Justin Jefferson as a uh, as a Steelers fan. I'm not excited to, to watch him go up against our pass defense here in a couple hours. Uh, Herman, as, as a I have a lot of family in, in the Detroit area, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the Lions. Obviously, got a big win against the aforementioned Lions this uh, the, or the, excuse me against the Vikings this past Sunday. They've they've been so close all year. They finally break through and get the win this past weekend. Uh, what what was that like? And and what have you uh, you know what what's your kind of assessment of how, how the Lions have been playing so far this year? I think they played well um, and in pockets. They just haven't been able to have the 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 play at the the, the top level skill wise to compete with some of the other players that have been out there on the field with them. Uh, they they haven't been able to match up across the position. They haven't been able to, to create the matchup and advantages that you need to have uh, as a team when you're looking to compete for championships or postseason play. And then the final one is playing with the discipline that you would expect. They've had to play with a lot of young players. Uh, There's a lot of newness here uh, with this team that they have not had the ability to gel, uh, I think, as quickly. And that is not just on the field with the players, but also the coaches. Uh, We saw where Coach Campbell had to make some changes on his end 
to uh, take over some of the play calling, uh, which, you know, came not necessarily with criticism, but it came with a little eye opening, like what's going on with the OC and the head coach uh, has, has that there, there's some confidence that it start to waver there. Uh, and you factor that all in, they still have stayed together. They've remained gritty as a football team. And regardless of the record, they're just playing it game by game as if each game still matters. Uh, and I think that's important. Uh, but I think, you know, there's been some criticism on the celebration that is that going overboard, but I don't see that so much as celebrating as much as um, uh, this is a team that's happy to get that behind them so they can move forward. You played on some of those most successful Lions teams of Super Bowl era, the ones in the 90s with Scott Mitchell and Barry Sanders. What were some of your best memories that you had, whether it was on the field or off the field, with some of those Lions teams that really produced some of the best moments in Detroit sports history? Um, well, I would say on the field, it was just the competitive nature. It was the leadership quality that we had inside of each unit. Um, the, if you look at, across our board, whether it's in the quarterback position, running back position, receiver, line, the offensive line, defensive line, secondary, anywhere, kicking game, we always had someone that you could say, that's the leader of that unit. And then there was the overall leaders of the team. Um, those are the fond moments. And if I had to think of the memories, it was just 95 would probably be the, the, the most fun that I had. Uh, number one ranked offense. We were clicking on all cylinders, um, just setting all kind of records. But to, to win seven straight games, to just get back to the playoffs uh, was phenomenal. And for us to have that type of a stretch and that type of a run was, was cool. Uh, I will say this, off the field, it was just the, 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 op just the, the liveliness and the fun that we had. Like, my rookie year, I'll tell you this real quick uh, story is that they took my clothes because I was dropping a lot of passes. And because we could get free sweats and all that stuff, um, they would take any, it didn't matter, whatever I would wear, they would take it and they would steal it and I wouldn't know where it was. And they would dump it out on 75. Someone would drive it and just throw it out on 75. So I got smart after about a week, realizing it wasn't going to end. So I started just wearing Detroit Lion gear all the time. I would wear sweats to practice, sweats home. That way, no matter if you threw those away, you were just throwing away their money, not mine. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Herman, last question for me before I hand it back over to Steve. You know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the teamwork aspect of it and the, the, the leadership aspect of it. Um, having been on a number of successful, you know, teams throughout your life, in your mind, what, what is it that, that makes a great culture of a team? What is it that, that you know, from a leadership perspective that, that makes great leaders on a team that gets everyone kind of pulling in the same direction that it, to ensure that you're having a successful season? Accountability. Mm. And that comes from, that means that you have to prepare. That means you have to be present. That means that you have to show up. That means that you have to, to play your role and play it to the best of your ability. Um, a lot of people will say, well, I like that we're, we're resilient, we're this, we're that. But if you put accountability in there, it encompasses all that. You, you have to make sure that you come in and, and you do what is necessary to make sure you're the best individual you need to be uh, to contribute to that entire uh, collective and that team vision. And if you do that, that's what's going to get you successful. And the coach that can, can get that team quickest to that point and that mindset is, is the coach that's most successful. And the last thing for me, Herman, is uh, I know that you've had the opportunity to speak to players from the teams and qu past quick lane bowls. So if you had to summarize, if you're in a room with Western Michigan or Nevada's players right now, what, what are you telling them advice for on the field for this game and off the field? 
Well, I'm telling them that you know, some of them will be looking at this as the end of a, a student athlete um, uh, vision or, or life that they've lived. Uh, but now they're gonna be moving on to just another level. And that with each of those levels comes new rules. And I, I said this to them before, and you have to be able to prepare uh, to be ready so that you don't, you don't fear those levels and that you don't stumble when you get there, but you have to sit there and be willing to learn. You gotta be willing to learn and then apply. Uh, for that, it, it's, it's go out and conquer, is do what it is that drives you, be passionate about what you do, be committed. Um, and if you do that, the success will be there. Uh, you're gonna have problems along the way. That's just, that's just the nature of it. Uh, but, but truly how you react to that and how you take that preparation and apply it uh, will definitely determine your, your, your life quality. Awesome. An awesome message uh, to deliver, certainly. Well, Herman, we know, uh, we know you got a, a lot going on. We'll let you get out of here. We really appreciate you stopping by here and talking to us today. And everyone, once again, he is Herman Moore, an all-time Lions great, a four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro here on behalf of the Quick Lane Bowl, which will kick off uh, December 27th at 11 a.m. on ESPN Live from Ford Field with the Max Own Western Michigan taking on Nevada. Herman, thank you again so much for joining us this evening. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. As always, we're going to close out the week here with, uh, with a recap of the week in basketball. Got Vansy here joining us. Take a look at the men's and women's hoops action of the past week. Take a look at the week ahead. Vansy, welcome back, man. How you doing? All doing good. Uh, you know, very excited to hop on here and talk about the week that was, uh, you know, and go over some of the performances and all that. Yeah, let's jump right into it here. Another, uh, there's some, some, some good wins, some good performances for the Mac this week. It was a little bit of a mixed bag this week, I felt like, for the Mac. We had some good some teams go on the road, get some good victories. Uh, a couple of disappointing performances, I would say, probably if you talk to some different Mac fan bases. Seems like some, some teams are starting to hit their stride. Some teams might be falling back uh, to earth here a little bit. Uh, what are your general thoughts, first impressions, first thing that comes to your mind of the week that was here in the Mac? What are you looking at? Well, you know, I think we're kind of to the point where I'm just I'm getting ready for conference play. Some of these yeah. other conferences are doing the, the early schedule, you know, where they have a couple games. I'm I'm ready for it. I think we're past the point of really learning much about these teams through the non-conference. And, uh, you know, when you get into the, the the Christmas season and you play a non-conference, it just you know, it's it's tough to get, you know, people tuned in. Um you know, and just kind of looking over the week that was, it was pretty much how you would expect it. I wouldn't say there's really any big upsets. Um, you know, for me, a couple of results that stood out to me was Bowling Green and Toledo um, over Oakland, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, you have the, the mid-major top 25 uh, rankings that come out and Oakland was very well liked in those. They beat Oklahoma State. So to see both Bowling Green and Toledo beat Oakland. That was an impressive victory there. Um, Buffalo, uh, you know, and, and, and to go down to Western Kentucky, uh, Dibble Arena down there and, and, and beat Western Kentucky. And, uh, you know, St. Bonaventure, you know, that's a team, you know, that's, that's one where, you know, it's a Mac loss, but St. Bonaventure's had a very good season so far. They played some very tough teams. They've won some games. So for Buffalo to only lose by three, uh, you know, I thought that was impressive, um, you know, and, and, and 
uh, pretty much, you know, it was standard fare this week for the Mac. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, one team you mentioned there in your opening that I feel like we haven't really talked about much here the first couple weeks of the season, uh, but you mentioned Bowling Green a little bit. You know, they get that win over Oakland. And it's it's I feel as if this year uh, for, for Michael Huger's team, it's a little bit of a shift in identity for Bowling Green, whereas they were one of those teams similar to Akron last year where it felt like they were very dependent on one guy being Justin Turner. Now, obviously, Daquan Plowden, Still very good. They got Trey Diggs, Caden Matheny, some other guys, some ancillary pieces. But but Justin Turner was really the guy that kind of stirred the drink there for Bowling Green these last few years, right? He he graduates, obviously. He's playing overseas now. Daquan Plowden has stepped up. You know, he's giving you 15 uh, points and, you know, seven rebounds a night. So he's up there near, near the top five in both categories uh, in the MAC. But you mentioned that win over Oakland. I feel like Bowling Green is one of those teams – you know, they, they had a couple of disappointing performances there. You know, they lost to Southern Utah. They lost to Norfolk State at home. Uh, not, not great performances there. But look, you look here over the last week, you know, they go on the road here in Pittsburgh last week. They beat Duquesne by eight, that late comeback victory. They get that win over Oakland, as you mentioned, uh, last, just uh, the other night on Tuesday. This is one of those teams, Vansy, it seems like they've had to shift their identity a little bit this year, but they seem to be kind of hitting their stride now. Obviously, it's only nine games into the season, so do they say they're hitting their stride? Might be a little bit premature, but they seem to be fi- figuring out who they are and finding their identity. That's a team that I'm, that I'm going to be interested to, to, to watch here, you know, moving forward over the next couple of weeks. You know, they got another game uh, next week against another, you know, decent mid-major program in Robert Morris, and then one other game against a division three team before conference play starts. That's a team though, Vansy. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see them play much yet, but it's they're, they're a team that seems to be kind of finding their footing. I'll be curious to see what they look like once conference play rolls around. So real quick, I have a couple of uh, notes on, on Bowling Green here. Um, real quick, Justin Turner, he actually is now with the Motor City Cruise of the G League. Oh, okay, okay. I thought he was in Europe for some reason. Okay, good, good he, he was briefly, and then he was with, uh, I think, the Celtics team, and then they waved him. The Motor City Cruise picked him up. Their general manager is former EMU coach Rob Murphy. So obviously yeah. very familiar with him. Um, Bowling Green, they, they beat Duquesne uh, this past week. That's interesting because former – uh, Akron head coach Keith Dambrot is the head coach yeah. there, and uh, he's he recruits Northwest Ohio very heavily. But as of right now, entering play tonight, uh, there's three teams in the or two teams, excuse me, two teams in a MAC with three straight wins mm-hmm. Bowling Green and Akron. Yeah. And I, I think a week ago, if you would have said that, we would have thought we were crazy. Um, because Bowling Green did not look that great early on, and they're starting to round into form. Now, I think part of that, and you know, they play in a great arena, the Stroh Center down there. It's it's one of the best in the MAC. But I think part of that is Michael Huger. You know, I think a lot of times when you have a good coach, I say that about John Gross at at, at Akron. You know, you can kind of play up, and you can get those pieces to fit. And I think that's what you're seeing right now from Bowling Green because Duquesne in Oakland. You know, Chicago State, Chicago State, I don't know how they're not good being in the Windy City, but the other two are quality mid-majors. Agreed. Yeah, to- totally agree with that. And, you know, you, you mentioned Akron as well, Vansy. And, you know, we, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago. You know, they, they're another team similar to Bowling Green. You know, a couple of, of, of very subpar performances. I mean, they lose to Fordham 
by 20 points. They only put up 43 points in that game. You know, Fordham in the A-10, but traditionally one of the weakest, if not the weakest programs in, in, in the Atlantic 10. Then you lose to Appalachian State, who I don't think anybody uh, would confuse them for a basketball school. Very, very much known for their football program down there in Boone. But they've bounced back here over the last week. You know, they get a couple of nice wins at home. Uh, they beat Evansville at home out of the Missouri Valley. A really nice win over Marshall out of Conference USA, 88 to 86. And they bounce back third straight win the other night. Uh, you know, they get a win against uh, HBCU Southern, 79-62. And how about, I think, you know, Banzi, a big part of what's happening at Akron right now, and the reason they've kind of picked it up here over the last week, Enrique Freeman, their big man, really playing at a really, really high level right now. Those three games over the past week here, he's averaging 19 and a half points, 13 and a half rebounds in those games, 13 of 19 from the floor, six, 68, just almost almost 69% from the field. Uh, I really like what, what I'm seeing from Akron. You know, I mentioned about them a couple weeks ago. It was going to be interesting for me to see how they were able to, to replace uh, Lauren Christian Jackson, who was really the guy that really made everything go on offense for them last year. And it seems to me what it's looking like now, Vanzi, is that the way that they're replacing him is not necessarily by replacing his points on offense, but they're more so they, they've become much more of a defensive team. They're first in the Mac right now in points per game and in field goal percentage defense. They're only giving up 59 points a game. It seems like they're kind of shifting their identity there. And to your point, I, I think that's kind of the marker of a, of a good coach, um, you know, in, in having, you know, John Gross there, former Ohio coach, former Illinois coach. So it, it definitely, I, I would agree with you. It seems to me, like uh, like Bowling Green and uh, and uh, and Akron really starting to kind of catch their stride right now. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on two other teams here, Vanzi. Two other teams that I, I feel disappointed me a little bit in this past week, and two teams, especially this first one, that might be coming back to earth a little bit. You know, we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago about how we were very impressed with Miami's start to the season. You know, they race out to that five and zero start. Since then, they've, they've, they've dropped three straight. One, the first of those three was that rivalry loss to, to Cincinnati, which we're not going to hold that against them too much. Uh, but also in that stretch there, you have a loss to Western Illinois. And then you also have a loss to Indiana State on the road. Indiana State was sitting at three and five going into that game. It seems like Miami's coming back to earth a little bit. You know, they were averaging over 80 points a game there for the, the, the first uh, couple weeks of the season. Since then, though, you know, 68 points against Indiana State and uh, only, you know, 58 against uh, Cincinnati the game before that. Uh, it's, I don't know, it, Vansy, it seems to me like these teams, though, are they're, try, they're starting to, to find their level a little bit, whereas Miami kind of raced out to that hot start. They seem like they're kind of falling back to the middle of the pack right now. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Any teams, any, anything that stuck out to you this week in terms of, a, you know, either a disappointing performance or a team that didn't live up to their potential? Yeah, and, well, you mentioned Indiana State and, and their victory over Miami of Ohio. Well, they beat, or excuse me, uh, Ball State beat Indiana State rather handedly early on yeah. in the season. So when you're kind of looking at that, the common opponents, is Ball State better than Miami? I don't think we would have felt that way a couple weeks ago. So I thought that that was interesting. Um, I got two somewhat disappointing performances and, uh, you know, one team and one individual. Um, I did, you know, we mentioned this, and I feel like every week we're kind of talking about a team from the state of Michigan being a disappointment. We were on Western Michigan for a while and they've turned it up right now, but central Michigan. Yeah. Six straight losses. It's going to be a long year. You know, I just, yeah. I, I watched a little bit of them. I don't see a redeeming quality. 
Um, you know, they just, you know, just do not look good. Um, you know, they got a lot of transfers. They're just not uh, playing well. Um, and, you know, kind of the probably the best player in the MAC this year individually is Ryan Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be a draft potential guy. I'm watching, you know, different leagues and then they're talking about him as a talented player. Um, so, you know, he played Michigan state, he lost. That's a tough one. They hung in there for a little bit. Um, Rollins had 21 points. That's, that's a good stat line, but mm-hmm. then you realize it took him 22 shots mm. to get that 21 points. So I thought that was of a stat. But also, I think that just kind of shows you how much that Toledo team and a Toledo offense is relying on Ryan Rollins. And that's something to watch moving forward because 22 shots in, in a 40-minute game, you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot of shots. It is, it is. And, you know, you, you mentioned that, uh, that Michigan State-Toledo game. You know, you look at the final score there and you see that Toledo only lost that game by 13 points. And you think to yourself, oh, you know, the Rockets kind of hung around with, with the Spartans there. But then if, if you watched any of that game, I mean, Michigan State raced out to a, a quick lead in that one. They were 20 points at halftime. That one was never really in question. And, and to your point, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, I, I had mentioned Toledo as a team that I had been impressed with. But, but the more that I, I watch them, they, they, they are, as you mentioned, very, very reliant on, on Ryan Rollins. Uh, JT Shemate, Cedric Milner. Uh, they're going to give you, uh, you know, some offense here and there. Ray J. Dennis coming in as, as the replacement point guard for Marion Jackson. Not terrible, not great. You know, he's only given you three. He's given you about four assists and, and three turnovers per game, which you'd like to see a little bit better of an assist to turnover ratio there. So I, I agree with you with uh, with Toledo. And, you know, when it comes to Central Michigan, you mentioned Central Michigan, six game losing streak. They're giving up 88 points per game during that stretch, allowing their opponents to shoot 54% from the field. As you said, Vanzi, it's going to be a long year, I think, in, in Mount Pleasant. You're not going to win many basketball games, uh, you know, playing playing defense like that. Another team here that that uh, disappointed me a little bit this week is, uh, you know, I've, I've been I've been watching Kent State a little bit and I've been expecting to see some development from Kent State. They have a, they have one of the more senior laden teams in the conference. But, uh, you know, these last couple of weeks, their only win is against NAIA team Point Park. Other than that, you know, they got a, they lost to East Tennessee State at home. They lost a thousand at home the other night by 15, 73 to 58. The Tigers walked in uh, to the Mac Center and, and beat the Golden Flashes. And, you know, when, when it comes to the to the Golden Flashes right now, just offensively, they're, they're really struggling. As I mentioned, only 58 points in that game against Towson, 51 points against uh, East Tennessee State the other night. You really, they give you, you've got Sincere Carey, the Duquesne transfer, who's really kind of doing everything for him. He's giving you 16 points, five rebounds, five assists a night. He's shooting 46% from the field. And then you got Malik Jacobs and Giovanni Santiago, who are giving you a little bit here and there. But the big men for Kent State here, really kind of leaving, leaving you a little bit to be desired. Malik Jacobs, I mentioned, you know, he's their leading rebounder at seven rebounds a game. He's a guard. Their, their leading rebounder when it comes to the big men is forward Justin Hamilton. He's only giving you five and a half rebounds a night. So the Golden Flash is getting pushed around a little bit underneath the hoop. I think that was that kind of the common theme in those two losses that they had the other, uh, this, you know, these last few weeks against East Tennessee State and Towson. So they have, uh, Kent State has some opportunities to kind of right the ship here 
a couple big games, a couple big opportunities for them coming up as we uh, as we approach conference play. But I haven't been too encouraged by what I've seen from uh, from them here over the last couple of weeks. Um, any other any other thoughts here from from the past week uh, on the men's side of things, Fancy? Before we take a look at some of the matchups of the week ahead. Uh, no, just real quick. One thing to kind of keep an eye on is uh, Eastern Michigan's Noah Farrakhan. Um, mm-hmm. He's been dealing with an injury, uh, you know, so it's affected his minutes. He was out for a couple of games, um, you know, so I'm kind of giving Eastern Michigan a pass. They've been up and down, but uh, I think they will be better once he gets back into health. Um, you know, I, I hadn't heard that reported too much about his injury. So I wanted to make sure that that was uh, out mm-hmm. there on the record. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad you brought Eastern Michigan up. I, w- I wanted to ask you about them quickly. Uh, got to watch a little bit of their game against Niagara last night. Uh, first time I've really get to see an extend- extended stretch of, of the Eagles since that opening night loss they had to, uh, to Indiana. But, you know, I was watching, there was a stretch there in the second half where they really seemed to kind of pull away from Niagara. They went on like a 15-2 to two run there, got up by, you know, they're up by 14 there halfway through the, the half there, and it's Niagara kind of, slowly crept back into that game. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think Farrakhan, it will be big for, for them when they, when they get him back. Uh, but I really liked what I saw from, uh, from Bryce McBride off the bench last night for, for, the, for, uh, for the Eagles. What do you have, 18 points, 19 points in that game, uh, 62% from the field. I think things, I don't know, I'd like to get your thoughts. And, and I know obviously you're an Eastern Michigan fan and alum, but things, you know, they, they seem to be, trending in the right direction for Stan Heath and the squad. What do you think so far? Yeah, um, I think right now we're kind of at that point where there's that's one of those teams where we just don't know until we get into the MAC play. You know, you yeah. see them against Indiana, they come back, it's a close game. You know, then you see them, they go out and they lose to UC San Diego out there in mm-hmm. California, and then they come back and they, you know, look pretty good against Niagara. So just what team, you know, who are they? Um, haven't really seen all their pieces together. You know, uh, their, their center was banged up to start the season. Now Farrakhan's banged up. You know, so it's just kind of a case of getting everyone together. I think we'll find out more uh, once we get into conference play where their true standing is. Um, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if they challenge for the MAC, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they're down there in the eight or ninth seed. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a fair, a fair assessment. I think you could say that about a lot of teams in the MAC thus far. And like you said, I don't think we're going to learn. We're going to not not going to know too too much about any of these teams until we we truly do get into conference play here. Let's take a look at the week ahead here, Vanzi, on the men's side of things. Um, any any matchups you have circled? Anything that you see that uh, that jumps out to you in terms of good matchups to keep an eye on this week? Well, I got I got one main one that I want to touch on, but then I got this one here: uh, Marshall at Ohio. Uh, yeah. the Marshall head coach is Mike D'Antoni's brother. Yeah. D'Antoni. And I just, I just always thought that that was so cool um, that he has a brother who follows a lot of his principles, who is coaching at the collegiate ranks, um, who's been an assistant. So Marshall's a, a good program. Um, you know, they played a lot of Mac teams and I, I believe they got Toledo coming up on the schedule as well. Um, so, you know, we get familiar with them, but, uh, you know, kind of a, a mid-major against a mid-major game and, and one that's more important for reasons other than uh, the matchup, um, Florida International 8-1 uh, on the season, 8-1, that's a good run, uh, yeah. is coming into Ypsilanti on Saturday. Mm. And you think about that and, you know, okay, well, it's George Gervin Day. 
The yeah. Iceman George Gervin is going to be back. They're going to honor him. Um, you know, they're asking fans to wear white. And if you watched the Niagara game, the attendance was awful. It looked, I had to Google to see if they had put in COVID restrictions on a crowd. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I, I counted six students. It was terrible. I couldn't believe that. Um, so it'll be hopefully good to see this team play in front of a full house. Uh, George Gervin coming back. I found something from the Board of Regents meeting yesterday that I tweeted out. Um, Eastern Michigan, the Board of Regents has authorized, uh, apparently a donor has come forward and is interested in renaming the basketball arena at EMU. Is it a coincidence that this comes out around George Gervin Day? I don't know. Ah. You know we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, one, you got a, a big, you know, pregame ceremony, George Gervin. You got FIU, you know, who's eight and one taking on EMU. I think that to me, uh, I like those mid-major matchups. Um, you know, I think, I think that'll be a big game. Awesome. Now, are you, you going to be there? I am planning on it. Yes. I, uh, you know, so hopefully they're, they're, they're giving out bobbleheads, but only to a select few. So I have, uh, you know, I have begged and pleaded and I, you know, I, I messaged swoop, you know, swoops, my buddy. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely want one. I do have a Spurs George Gervin Jersey and uh, Mr. Helwick will be glad to hear this, but I have a Spurs Jersey, but it's black and they're asking fans to wear white. So I can't even wear my Gervin Jersey. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. That's awesome. Though. That, that'll be a good environment there. That's, that'll be a, that'll be a good one through 10. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. As you mentioned, Florida international off to a nice start here. They've already got one win against a Mac team. They knocked off ball state a couple weeks ago. Their only loss this year is opening the season at Georgia. And they only lost that game 58 to 51. So should be a good one there in, uh, in Ypsilanti on Saturday, a couple that I'm looking at here, Vanzi. Uh, another kind of mid-major versus mid-major matchup on Saturday. We got Toledo traveling down to Richmond to take on the Spiders. Uh, you might recall last year, Richmond knocked out Toledo in the first round of the NIT. So uh, kind of a rematch here, a chance for not only for the, the Rockets to right the ship after that Michigan State loss, but also a chance to uh, get a little bit of revenge on the Spiders after ending their season last year. So I'm looking forward to that one. I also, you know, I mentioned uh, two more I'll mention here. Uh, we only we're getting you know closer to conference play, so not quite as many opportunities here for uh, Kent State to, or for excuse me for MAC teams to go on the road and maybe pick up a Power Six scalp. But we got two opportunities this coming week: Kent State traveling to Morgantown on Sunday to take on Bob Huggins and the West Virginia Mountaineers. Obviously, that'll be a, a tough place to play. It always is down there in Morgantown. West Virginia coming off a nice with win against uh, number fifteen UConn last night. We'll see if Kent State can uh, can put together a good performance there. And then also Miami, who we mentioned, uh, has kind of come down back down to earth a little bit, but they still do have that win over Georgia Tech to open the year that they can hang their hat on. They're traveling back down to ACC territory one more time. They're taking on the Clemson Tigers Tuesday night at seven. Be interested to see how uh, Day-Day Grant and Makai Larry are able to uh, to compete against uh, the, the ACC uh, foe, the, the Tigers there. So Couple more opportunities here for MAC teams to pick up nice road wins, uh, as you mentioned, Vanzi. A, a good opportunity for uh, Eastern Michigan to play in front of a good crowd there. And I also agree with you. I love the call out for Marshall versus Ohio. Kind of an old traditional rivalry as well in terms of just uh, you know, on, on, I guess I should say on top of it being a, a compelling matchup. Ohio still, you know, they're they're playing really well right now. They're six and two. Uh, got some nice wins. The Bobcats do a lot of the you know a lot of a lot of. Um, 
you know, as, as far as the, the number of impressive wins that the Mac has in this uh, non-conference schedule, few of them belong to the Bobcats. They got that win over Belmont to open the year. Uh, they went down to LSU, gave the Tigers all that they could handle. So we'll see what they're able to do against the Thundering Herd, their neighbors from, uh, from just to the south there in, uh, in Huntington, West Virginia. Let's move over to the women's side here, Vansy. It was another, I tell you what, another impressive week for, for, uh, for women's hoops in the MAC. Uh, got a couple nice wins. Uh, Kent State uh, went out, got a couple nice wins, as did Ohio, as did Buffalo. Uh, what do you think about the, the 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 women's performance in the MAC this week? Well, I you know from what I've seen, uh, I think Kent State and Ohio and Buffalo are the top three. I think they just see you yeah. know most respect to Western Michigan, who's having a great run right now. But I think you can kind of put those three at the top. Uh, Kent State seven and one. They're they're pushing top twenty five territory. I haven't seen this week's poll. Um, you know, but I think they're going to be, you know, really pushing for the top 25 at this point. Um, BGSU, a great team last year. They're two and four, you know, some changes there. Um, EMU, three straight losses, you know, so kind of a surprising thing there. Their most recent one came to Oklahoma, but that was a team that was really kind of, uh, you know, it's been right there, you know, fourth or fifth in a Mac, uh, you know, and uh, Mac tournament team. So, you know, they've hoping that uh, they right the ship there. Um, but yeah, kind of looking like it's Kent State's race, Kent State, Ohio and Buffalo on the women's side of things. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, and you know, you mentioned uh, Kent State. They just, you know, they, they got last week we talked about them. They got those wins over UCLA and Penn State. They followed that up this week with wins at St. Bonaventure. And then they go, uh, they come back home to Kent and they, they knock off Duquesne. Duquesne is a team that has really, really kind of, uh, you know, kind of ascended in the Atlantic 10 here uh, over the last few years. Back, you know, pre-pandemic in the 2019-2020 season, this is a team that won 20 games. Year before that, in 2018-19, uh, they, they won 25 games, went to the NCAA tournament. So a nice win for Kent State there. And then, you know, you mentioned Ohio. This is a team that's won four in a row, as has Buffalo. You know, you talked about in the on the men's side of things, with, uh, you know, Akron and uh, who was the other Akron and Bowling Green with with three game win streaks here on the women's side. we got Buffalo, Western Michigan with five game win streaks. Ohio's won four in a row. Kent State's won three in a row. Really a lot of high level basketball being played in the Mac right now, Vansy. How about Ohio the other night? You know, Richmond comes into uh, into the convocation center there in Athens. The, the Bobcats put 98 points on the Spiders there. A really great offensive performance from, uh, from the, the Bobcats. Uh, Erica Johnson continues to impress 32 points in that one. And uh, CeCe Hooks as well with 24 points, 13 rebounds, and eight assists. Almost uh, flirting, you know, flirting with the triple-double there for the Bobcats. I would tend to agree with you where, you know, where it seems like in the, in the wet, uh, on the men's side of things, there's a lot of parity. And as you said, we, we, we're not going to learn. We don't know a ton about all those teams just yet, but it seems in the women's side of things that it, that those top three teams are kind of starting to assert themselves. I'm a little bit surprised. You know, you mentioned Bowling Green, another team that is, uh, I'm a little bit surprised with their struggles thus far as is central Michigan. This is a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year. Traditionally, like, you know, last couple of years been a very, very strong program here in the Mac, but right now sitting, you know, they're sitting at two and five, they're coming off a 21-point home loss to Oakland. 
Uh, I'd, I'd like to think, or you'd have to think that uh, the Chippewa fans up there in Mount Pleasant, a little bit disappointed to the start of the season, especially as I mentioned, after, you know, beating Bowling Green for the conference championship last year and going to the NCAA tournament. What do you think about um, the, the Eastern Michigan? I, you know, you mentioned briefly the, the Oklahoma game, you know, that was a game, you know, Eastern Michigan played pretty well there for that first half. You know, you're, you go, uh, what are you down 11 going into halftime? It felt like, third quarter there Oklahoma just pulled away from them a little bit did you get the chance to see any of that game or what are, what are your general impressions of the Eagles right now I did not um you know I I you know follow the program pretty closely a lot of transfers right now so I just don't know if it you know I don't know if it's a product of trying to figure out the rotation trying to figure out some of those things um you know I'd like to believe that later in the year that you know they're going to be there once you get into Mac play uh, never seems like too flashy of a team they're just kind of in the game um, you know so maybe that'll be true later in the season maybe it's you know this is kind of like their preseason um, but I, I did want to touch on uh, you know Central Michigan you know and you look at Western Michigan the top women's basketball team in the state of Michigan right now is in Kalamazoo um, they have to be, you know, seeing, you know, feeling some blood in the water there a little bit with Central Michigan. This could be a big year for them in that rivalry. Uh, the way it looks right now, they're playing good basketball to potentially overtake Central Michigan. Um, you know, so I know it's looking ahead at the schedule, but that could be uh, some must-see games, Central against Western on the women's side of things. Also, you know, I mean, boy, it'd be a lot of fun to be in Athens, Ohio this year for, for college basketball, men's and women's are Buffalo, you know, I mean, you most any night of the week, you probably got a great game going on either on campus or on ESPN three or whatever it may be. Yeah, totally agree with you there. How about you mentioned Western Michigan? How about uh, the sophomore guard, Lauren Ross for the Broncos? Uh, second in the, or third, excuse me, third in the Mac right now uh, in, in scoring. She had 27 points against Valpo the other night, followed that up with 25 points in a road win against Indiana State. She's averaging 21.2 points per game in that four-game road, or excuse me, in that four-game win streak, shooting the ball at 55% from the field. I agree with you, Vanzi, though. You have that last statement you made there about, you know, B Buffalo and Ohio. It seems like both on the men's side and on the women's side here, both of those teams, those, you know, those, those schools are going to be right there in the thick of things in both of those races. It'd be interesting to see if either one of them can get both teams into the NCAA tournament. That would certainly be a, a, quite an accomplishment uh, for, for either school. Um, any, any, uh, any games you're looking at uh, in, on the women's side of things this week, anything got circled? Yeah. Um, so what, what jumped out to me when I was kind of looking at, and I, like I said earlier, I love the mid-major against mid-major, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Northern Illinois taking on Drake at six and two. Oh yeah. Drake's a solid mid-major, uh, you know, they're a yearly tournament contender out there. Um, you know, so that'll be kind of a, a little bit of a test, you know, like kind of figure out where that Northern Illinois team stands, um, you know, and then you got Ohio traveling to Minnesota, uh, a great arena out there, the barn, you know, I mean, if that's, that's such a name for a Minnesota basketball arena and it, it, it just seems like it plays loud. So that'll be a, a fun one to potentially watch. Yeah, totally agree with that. Another one, you you know, I'm I'm we're on the same wavelength there in terms of these, you know, mid-major versus mid-major matchups. Uh, one that's really kind of sticks out to me this week. I'm looking at uh, on Saturday afternoon. You got the Utah State Aggies traveling to Muncie to take on Ball State. Ball State, 
Uh, not, they had a decent week here. You know, that last Saturday they had the Pitt Panthers come into Worthen Arena. They hung with them for three quarters. Pitt pulled away there a little bit at the end and up getting a, a 64-54 victory. Ball State turned around, though, and bounced back with a 73-67 win uh, over IUPUI on uh, on uh, Wednesday night. So Ball State sitting at 5-3. and three. Utah State comes in at 5-3 and three as well. They're on a three-game win streak. They just knocked off Arkansas State 66-65 to 65 last night. So a nice little mid-major versus mid-major matchup there. I also like uh, you got the Buffalo Bulls. We mentioned Buffalo a couple minutes ago, Vansy. They're playing really well right now. They're on a four-game win streak. They're traveling out here to New Jersey. They're taking on Princeton uh, of the Ivy League on, on Tuesday. Princeton currently 7-1 and one leading the Ivy League right now. So I like that. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, what the Bulls can do on the road there in New Jersey. Much like you said on the men's side, though, Vansy, it seems like we're, we're starting to get ramped up as conference play approaches here. we got about two, what, about a week and a half, two weeks left in non-conference basketball before we get into MAC play. And these teams really, really start to separate themselves. We've got some opportunities here for some uh, quality wins here the last uh, week or so, the last two weeks of non-conference schedule. We'll see how the MAC acquits itself on the on both sides of the fence here. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here, Vance? Anything we didn't cover? Any uh, any any uh, final uh, you know bits of wisdom for the good of the people? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, you know, we don't have any MAC football now until the bowl games. You know, it's really when you look at how many bowl games there are and how many MAC teams are bowling. Uh, that's only like a week, but hey, there's no no MAC football this weekend. You know, no excuse to not watch some basketball. Uh, none. You know, there's there's some good games. On uh, both uh, coming from both genders this weekend, so this this upcoming week, so have fun with it. Yeah, totally agree with you. When it comes to college football, I mean, we got Army Navy on Saturday, and that's it. So you got a uh, no no excuse to not to watch a little bit of hoops this week. Uh, so anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for this week on the Mac Bandwagon. We appreciate you guys stopping by as always for Vansy for Steve Helwick. I am Zach Fodor. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Enjoy some hoops this weekend, and we'll talk to you guys again next Friday.